Seven sermons in a row have been devoted to one simple idea, that Jesus did signs so that you would believe. Seven sermons in a row, we've gone through this this simple formula where Jesus is faced with a problem and solves it by using a divine, empowered action so that you will believe. And the Gospel of John was separated. We, We did this already. The Gospel of John, the first part is these signs, 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 so that you will believe. Then we move into Jesus' teaching so that your life will be transformed. And after Jesus' teaching, he takes one chapter and, and, he, does, and he does a prayer. Chapter 17 of the Gospel of John, and it's a singular prayer that, that we know that, that John records as, as one narrative. And, and here it is. And it is a prayer, it is the heart of Jesus for not only those who were with him, but for all of those in the future, including us. And so that we would, we would be included. And, and then John takes us into the passion narrative, which we're going to go into over Easter. We're going to talk about the passion narrative and, and what Jesus did through his preparation and the death and resurrection. And today we're going to touch on resurrection because resurrection is the final sign that Jesus did in in the Gospel of John. The eighth sign in the Gospel of John that would have you believe that Jesus is the Lord. So let me start off by reading the text, John 20, 1 to 8. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. And she saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran and went to Simon and Peter and and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken our Lord from the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes laying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes there, the face cloth which had had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed." This, this other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw, and he believed. Of all the signs that we've, that we've seen John claim that Jesus is God, the turning into wa- water into wine, the, the walking on water, the raising of the dead, here's my first Slack question for you. If you're not on Slack yet, you can do that through promisechurch.community, but if you're on Slack, here's my question for you. My question is, when did you believe? Of all the signs of everything that's, that's happened in your life, of everything you've heard about Jesus, when did you believe? When did you believe? Jesus has a, an, or sorry, Peter has an inkling, an expectation. As, as Peter approaches the tomb, it isn't foreboding that Peter has, it's anticipation. 
Nothing was going to stand in the way of him investigating where Jesus was. Remember, we know the narrative. We're so familiar with the narrative. You're, even if you didn't grow up in a church, you know that there was a guy, Jesus, who died, and there's controversy about his resurrection, and we know the narrative. So nothing, we, we know that, oh, well, of course Jesus resurrected, but Peter didn't know. He's living in the moment. He had no clue. He's heard a report that the body's missing. And he's alarmed. But there's a, there's a I've got to get to the bottom of this. This man who did all of these signs, and now he was crucified and died. Now, what do I have? What has come of Jesus? He's got an inkling, an expectation, because of some of the things that Jesus has said. But as Peter approaches the tomb, he's anticipatory. Nothing's going to stand in the way. I think of how we approach following Jesus. How did you approach following Jesus? How, when did you believe? There are three approaches to the resurrection of Jesus that are recorded in this passage. There's a cautious approach, there's an exuberant approach, and there's a contemplative approach. Sometimes we're very cautious in our approach. When we see the thing, we, we run away and ask questions and, and seek out Christian counsel, and we're just like, oh my goodness, what's going on? And we're cautious in our approach, like Mary Magdalene was. Sometimes we are exuberant in our approach, running past everyone to get to the bottom of it. Here we go. We're just going to go find Jesus, and we're going at it. Nothing's stopping us. Get out of the way. I'm going to follow Jesus. And sometimes we're contemplative in our approach. We're looking at the evidence and coming to a conclusion. And John allows for, in his narrative, John allows for all three. I'm going to notice something here. That all three of these people are Christian. All three of them are Christian. None of them turned away, which what that means is that one approach isn't necessarily better or worse than another approach. They are all part of the, the same process of coming to faith in the resurrected Jesus. Okay, so when did you believe? Um, some people have no specific time. You're right, some people do have no specific time, but indeed they did believe. When I visited a church met for many weeks and saw, the, um, and saw the love and joy of people that I'd never seen in my life, I was 30 years old when I believed. I believed when Jesus reached out to me through a plaque with Jeremiah 29.11 on it at a yard sale when I was a drug addict with no plans and hope of prosperity or future. I believed when our first pastor, David Stewart, persuaded me to make the choice to surrender. I had already decided a week before the next week I will say yes, and he closed every service with an altar call. I believed after a friend shared it was personal faith, the true belief after seeing the movie Jesus Christ Superstar. It did some good, but it's true. That's great. We're going to save that one. Um, a child in the room said, I believed again when I fell to my knees in prayer at the altar of Lakeshore Pentecostal Camp. 
I believed all my life, but I only truly began to understand my belief as I got into the church that wasn't my parents. When did you believe? I love it. Keep, keep adding to that. I have another question for you in a minute. Mary has a set of questions. In our discipleship wheel as a church, we see that God takes us through seasons of questioning. Questions are for getting clarity. And some of us don't have clarity. For Mary, in, in this sign, there was a pertinent question. What have they done with Jesus? Notice Mary's question wasn't theologically accurate. What did they do with Jesus? It didn't follow a theological line. It's, it's alarming. It's out of the box. It's, it's shocking. It's, it's so many different things. You're, you're not supposed to be like, what do they do with the guy that just got killed three days ago? Like, that's just not the right question. Her question didn't fit a structure or a system. In fact, the structure of the system wasn't able to answer the question of the missing body of Jesus. And sometimes that's what's happening in our life. Our questions don't fit the structure and the assumptions that we've made about God. They're there because we've made assumptions about God. We've made assumptions about the reality around us. And our reality is smacking us in the face. And saying like, ah, your assumptions, something's going on here. Look at, look at Mary's assumptions in her question. What have they done with Jesus? Mary's already come to an assumptive conclusion. They did something. Clearly, the most obvious solution to a missing dead body is not, oh, he's alive again. None of us would think that. So Mary assumes the most practical response. They I don't know who they is, the people who spray the apples or the Roman soldiers. I don't know. They did something to Jesus' body. And there's an assumption there. And sometimes we have false assumptions about God. Our questions sometimes are built about false assumptions because we have a, we have a construction, a belief of what goes on in the world. And sometimes our reality slams into that belief and makes us question is my belief real? And what I've discovered after being a minister for so much of my life, I've discovered that, that what happens is we have a structured belief about God, and then our reality challenges that belief. And sometimes we don't actually get to the bottom of it, and we just walk away, or people walk away, and they go, oh, well, I guess God's not a thing. Instead of allowing God to do what God did in Mary's heart. Challenge the assumptions and rebuild a more true foundation. They didn't do anything with the body. There's a challenging of the assumptions. Don't be discouraged if your road to belief involves questions. For some of those who are being baptized today, their road has involved questions, challenging the assumptions and allowing God to bring about a new framework for
for Mary, that new framework was the possibility and the lived reality of a resurrection. Totally different. Okay. Next slack question. Did your belief grow in stages? Did your belief grow in stages? And, and maybe what were some of those stages? Did you, did you believe in, in a little bit and then not really trust God with this over here because you didn't see how he fit? What, what happened in here? How did your belief grow? Reflect on that for a second. Did you, another way of looking at this is, how did you grow in your faith? We all had a faith that brought us into salvation, and then, and then how do we grow in it? John, we assume, is the third person in the story, the disciple that Jesus loved. He never names himself anywhere in the whole text, but he has this, this uh, name, the person that Jesus loved, the disciple that Jesus loved. So we assume it's John. He ran to the tomb because he's eager to get there, but when he arrives, John starts assessing the situation. So he's eager to understand what happened, but he's, he's just going to start assessing. He's going to start putting this into logical order. He gives pause. He starts to look around. John's the person that probably wrote this book. So he, he, he's come to a very solid belief in who Jesus is. But when he tells the story of the resurrection, he reveals that he didn't run into the tomb but he was first at the door, and he slows down. We can presume that he's analyzing the situation. He's analyzing the situation. He's, he's assessing the reality. He's recognizing that his... That there's something that's really interesting about John's approach. If, if John is a good Jew, then he knows that coming into contact with a dead body makes him unclean. He knows that there's going to be a period of separation from the Jewish community where he is unclean. So he's like, okay, hold up, I'm at this tomb, and now what do I do? How do I process the reality of my, of my structure, my, my lived structure, and the challenge that's in front of me of a tomb? What am I going to do? Something is off in my normal, and, and I need to figure it out. And so he looks in, and he sees that there's no body, and the clothing's kind of just there. The text tells us that. So he, he, he's analyzing. There's so many of us that are contemplative and analyzing of the facts and the reality, and the, this is what happened, and this is how it happened, and this is the implication of that. So John is in his mind, he steps, he sees, and he goes, something's happened here. What has happened? Did your belief grow in stages? Someone says that as a child, my faith had a childish stage. As a teen, my faith had an egotistical stage. As an adult, my faith is presumptuous, narcissistic, prideful. And when the heck am I going to get it right? Oh my gosh, I get it. I get that. Someone else says, I think I always believed because I was raised in church, but it didn't become my own faith until I experienced rock bottom, and God came through and showed me his reality. As a child, I don't know much 
I only thought he cured the sick people if you really believed, but he, he never saved my sister. So I grew out of it. Then in my youth, I became his friend again, but I never really committed. It wasn't until I had children that I had thought long and hard about the relationship I had. And about a year and a half ago, I really did start on the path to grow my relationship with him and accepted him into my heart, and I love him. It's amazing. So many good stories here. Someone says, I feel like faith isn't always linear. Thank you. Read my book. Love it. Um, <laughs> for myself, it's about always being intentional. Always pursue and stick with it, no matter what highs or lows I'm currently going through. Praise Jesus. Keep reading these. These are awesome testimonies. Did your belief grow in stages? Some of us have taken the process of analysis. We see that John, even though he went through this process, by the time it's all done, his last testimony in our text today is, and then the disciple that Jesus loved believed. Even through the, ana the analysis, through the contemplative, through, the, through the, the analytical, he comes to a sure faith, sure enough that he writes this gospel. My last question for you in Slack today is, is your belief in the risen Jesus? Is your belief in the risen Jesus? Sometimes we put faith in a whole bunch of things. This is actually not a simple question. This is a challenging question. Is your faith in the risen Jesus? Not is your faith in an ideology or in a construct or in, or in some sort of, of religious mechanism whereby if you go to church enough times on a Sunday, then you'll, then you'll probably go to heaven. But no, is your faith in the resurrected Jesus? Paul says if Jesus is not resurrected, then we are to be pitied among all men. And Lecrae says if Jesus is not resurrected, then you've wasted your life. I like Lecrae. I like Paul too. So Peter comes in and he's rushing in and he throws his traditional construct to the wind. He doesn't care if he's coming into contact with a, with a dead body. He doesn't care that, that, he, that he's got the wrong approach, that, that he's not formally assessing the situation because Peter needs to know and he needs to know right now. He, he removes John, presumably, forcibly from the doorway and steps into the darkness of the tomb. He discovers that Jesus is not present in the clothes, as John saw, have, have, been, have been laid aside, but the, but the face cloth has been folded neatly. It's not a body snatching. It's a resurrection. Jesus has seen, or, or sorry, Peter has seen enough evidence that 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 the body has been unwrapped, that, that the person had enough wherewithal to fold the face cloth neatly. And that does it for him. It's a resurrection. Peter's able to piece the evidence together, and, and Peter's life is again challenged by a God who continues to do impossible signs that are unprecedented. Yeah, baptism's that moment. There are reasons that each person has come to the decision to put their faith in Jesus. Each of you have come to a place where you say, yes, I've put my life-altering faith in Jesus. Remember Martha needed to move the stone from last week? 
Martha, Martha believed, said, oh yeah, I believe, I believe Jesus that you could raise Lazarus from the dead. And then Jesus goes, okay, so move the stone. And Martha's like, are you nuts? And then Martha puts her actions into it and she moves the stone. Today, people are being baptized, making this public acknowledgement. They're, they're not just checking a box. It's a commitment to become part of the active community of believers that do their absolute best to foreshadow the fulfillment of God's promises to others. And for the sake of continuing the order, to create order, God's order in this world. I've spoken to all five of our baptism candidates today, and each one does put their faith in Jesus and is here today making a thought-out, lifelong commitment to Jesus. We're part of this community. Jesus says of baptism at the end of the Gospel of Mark, I know, I stole it from Mark, I'm talking to John, stole it to Mark. Jesus says afterward he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at tables and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not yet believed those who saw him after he'd risen. And he said to them, go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So with that, we prepare for baptisms. Our baptisms are linked to the resurrection of Jesus.